Hi, hi, hello, guys. I'm Rui, and this is Macabre Ramblings, a true crime full ramble. So, now it's Happy Halloween, I guess. If you're reading, I was about to say, if you're reading, if you're listening to this on the day that it's released, then Happy Halloween. If you're not, still, Happy Halloween. You know, we can celebrate Halloween whenever we want to. <laughs> Personally, if you just want it Halloween every day, all day, then go ahead. Just enjoy your day. I hope you're enjoying your day. I hope that you're staying safe. And I hope that you enjoy this true crime topic that I'm going to share to each and every one of the people who will listen. This is going to be something that is going to be long. Because I was already aware of the length of research that will happen. If I do this episode because I have heard like a couple of podcast episodes with this as the main topic and I know that he had done a lot and there's a lot to cover especially because there are books concerning him but I really didn't anticipate the amount of information that I managed to find or just stepping into Google and just falling down this rabbit hole and the amount of information that just greeted me like right in the face it just slapped me in the face and so I did try to summarize like a lot of it because I don't want us to stay here like I don't know a month <laughs> it's really really long but I enjoyed the research but Things are summarized in such a way that there's still a lot of information, but it's not like too much. And because I know that it's going to be long, and since I ramble a lot, it's going to be probably longer than I anticipate. I'm going to cut this topic into two parts. Hopefully, it's just two parts. The first part would be the childhood and all that stuff. The second part would probably be even more of his crimes but it'll be focusing on the time where he is caught because spoiler alert he is caught the trial and the aftermath of everything that has happened and so now that the rambling has happened <laughs> let's talk about the actual topic of this episode and the topic the i don't want to say protagonist because he had killed a lot of people but the uh, topic. <laughs> I can't think of an another word for that, but the topic would be Robert Hansen, or some people call him the Butcher Baker. I also found a couple of articles calling him Bob the Baker. Bob the Baker sounds weird, personally. It sounds like a character in a cartoon. I chose to use Butcher Baker as the moniker for my title, and this is Robert Hansen's deeds all throughout his life. So, 
let's start this with like a short prologue uh revolving around the place where he will commit his crimes as he grew up and this is alaska it's at that time i'm not quite sure if, if it is still like this right now there's a big possibility that it is that at that time there's a terrain in alaska that has like beautiful ocean coasts there's rivers there's magnificent mountain peaks there's a lot of rainforests and an abundance of wildlife and if you know anything about this case you'd know that wildlife mountains and just places where people don't really live in where people hunt in is a pivotal fact in this case and just wildlife in general wildlife hunting guns and all that stuff it plays a big part in this case especially the place around the nick river because this is a preferred hunting ground for veteran trophy hunters it is just 25 miles from the city of Ang. oh no i should search up how to say this is it anchorage anchorage so it's anchorage <laughs> as google says so so this uh, the nick river is just 25 miles away from the city of anchorage it is a gorge there's like a lot of prehistoric glacial ice and this makes it the perfect place to find mountain goats sheep black bears and moose so this will be a setting for this crime uh, not just one setting this is like one of the preferred settings of the different crimes that will happen within this case so before going to the crimes itself let's talk about the childhood of robert christian hansen so he was born on february 15 1939 in estherville iowa he is the son of a danish immigrant baker and his wife his childhood was not easy apparently it's mostly because of his father uh, attitude his father's attitude he was very strict and robert worked long hours in their bakery because you know immigrants and they need to do their best to work so they could have the money and live this american dream you know aside from his father being very strict when robert was growing up in his youth he was a very skinny and very shy boy he has a stammer it's not like just young like this <laughs> like you stammer because you can't think of something to or you can't think of how to say it properly but he literally has a problem with his stammering and he also had a severe case of acne that left him permanently scarred so in later years he would recall his face as one big pimple so because of that you know how kids are he was shunned by the girls in school and he grew up hating the girls not hating but more of like very antagonistic with them and he started nursing fantasies of revenge as he grew up as of now though he is just that one loner guy that is being shunned because of his appearance i guess and his stammering and you know how kids can be they could be very cruel so apparently although he was left-handed he was forced to use his right hand and this gave him even more stress and this stress gave him even more problems with his stuttering because 
it became like a psychological thing with him and the stress added this to the problem of the stuttering and now he stutters even more and people are like making fun of him shunning him even more and this gives him more stress it's like a cycle a never-ending cycle so because of the strict upbringing from his father he had a difficult relationship with him and so hansen robert hansen started to practice both hunting and archery and this became his refuge kind of like an escapism of sorts so growing up when he became 18 years old in 1957 he decided to join the united states army reserve and this is a move hoping that he would leave behind his troubled youth and make something of himself he only served one year before he was discharged he later worked as an assistant drill instructor at the police academy in pocahontas iowa and there he met a younger woman he started a relationship with her and then in the summer of 1960 he ended up marrying her uh so in in the summer this is in the summer of 1960 on the winter, December 7, 1960, Hansen was arrested. And why? Why is he suddenly arrested? He was arrested for arson. He played a part on burning down a Pocahontas County Board of Education School bus garage. And this is apparently because of his unpopularity in high school. This is his revenge for that. Because he was unpopular, he's going to burn down the bus garage. Uh, so to do this, he planned this several days beforehand at the back of his father's bakery. His accomplices, actually depending on what article you read, one article says that it's only one 16-year-old employee. Another article says that he has two 16-year-olds. Either way, his accomplices were employees of his father's bakery and who also worked for his father. So on the night of the arson, these 16-year-olds give their parents some excuse, a lie, and that's what they used so they could come to the bakery instead at that night. So once they were there, they would paint the ovens so they would have an alibi. Paint the ovens. Did they like literally paint the ovens or is this like a metaphor or a saying for something else? Because I don't know. What does that mean? <laughs> Do you paint the ovens in a bakery? I don't know. So now having that alibi, they burned down the bus garage. So you'd think that they could get away with it. Actually, no, I don't think they could get away with it. <laughs> so the teens that Hansen had asked for help or that Hansen forced to burn the bus garage with him had morals and they ended up turning themselves in. And because of that, they also turned in Hansen. So he was sentenced to three years in Anamosa State Penitentiary and his wife that has only been wed to him for about six months ended up filing a divorce and so he's suddenly a divorcee and unfortunately ready to mingle he's always ready to mingle anyway even if he's taken you know later <laughs> so after 20 months of the sentence of three years he was paroled but during his incarceration, he was diagnosed by a psychiatrist that he has bipolar disorder. At that time, apparently this disorder is called manic depression. And aside from that, he also has periodic schizophrenic episodes. 
So the, the psychiatrist also noted that Hansen had this infantile personality. And this means that he was obsessed with getting back at people that he felt had wronged him. It's not like... I took it as kind of like a pettiness in a extreme-ish way. So like, instead of, for example, somebody stepped on your shoe and you feeling petty at that time, you stepped back on their shoe because like revenge. Like, why are you stepping on my shoes? Now they're dirty and now I'm going to step on yours. So it's going to be dirty as well. No, he is that type that... He felt that this person wronged him like 10 years ago for other people, for other like people without this uh, infantile personality. Is it a syndrome or like this problem? These normal people would look back 10 years ago and not feel that much of a problem with it. But him, he's going to take that grudge within him, keep it, keep it, keep it until he gets like the perfect time to exact his revenge. So that is the infantile personality. So while there, he also got some psychological treatment, but apparently it didn't take. The best thing that it helped was his stuttering. Just his stuttering became a little better. Not perfect, but better. So once out on parole, he started stealing. So just... That didn't stop him from stealing. So he started stealing just for the thrill of doing it. Although apparently he was caught stealing several times, no charges were ever laid against him. So in 1967, he decided that it was time for a new start and left for Alaska. But before that, let's rewind a little bit before he was really released for parole, I suppose. Like he is in parole and then he was out of parole. <laughs> What do you call that? But you know what I mean. So just a few months after that, Hansen was married again. He wed another Pocahontas native in 1963 and with whom he had two children. And she also followed him to Anchorage, Alaska, where there he would end up opening his own bakery and become like a better person, quote unquote, better person in the eyes of people there. So... Who is his wife, his second wife? So this is, her name is Darla, Darla Marie Henriksen Hansen. So Darla is, as I've read, a lot of my information actually came from the blog of the author of Butcher Baker. It has a lot of information. Honestly, I would have started reading the book if I had the time to finish it in the course of my research, but unfortunately, I didn't. I did not. There's a lot of things happening in my life, and I don't have the time for reading a whole book. So I ended up like scouring the blog and found a lot of information, and that's where I got most of a, of my information from. And so Darla is a tall, big-boned woman. She is quiet, almost resigned, but she is strong and intelligent. So before they moved to Alaska, she managed to get a master's degree in education. When Darla, in the far, far future, when Darla met the detective or the sergeant for the case that Robert Hansen is in, he told the detective that all this time she knew her husband was up to no good. She thought, though, that it did not go beyond him like seeing sex workers before starting work at his bakery. Because she could not imagine him doing all of the things that he would do in the future. Wow. 
my storytelling sounds convoluted there but you know like in the far future she meets a detective and she told him that i figured he's up to no good but i never thought that he'd be capable of what he had done darla is also very deeply religious and that's and she also thought that she could help him she started getting robert to attend church and she thought this would guide him toward a path to righteousness and that did not help obviously so she stood by him in the years where he has caught up in a couple of different crap <laughs> you'll hear all about it she's there she so the time where she left him is literally when he was arrested or like she doesn't know uh this kind of like reminds me of he's also a serial killer but his family did not know all about it because he doesn't look like he's capable of that he's that type of person so after every arrest that robert hansen would go through he would stop going to church with her for a while so it was not too surprising then that after many years they ended up kind of living separate lives but not really separating so this like they have like their own thing happening they're still wed they're still taking care of their children but they have their own thing and they're not like completely completely together so darla had her own income so she has her own job from tutoring learning disabled children she paid the house expenses and she is the one who takes care of the two children when summer happens she and her kids would have summer vacations where they were going to arkansas where she had family robert would stay behind with an excuse to take care of the bakery you'd know what he's doing <laughs> the moment i talk about all of the crimes i'm starting with like darla here because i don't know where to insert her in the story because in the next uh after this it's going to be like robert's crimes like a lot <laughs> he's going to do a lot so i'm just kind of like talking about darla now so bob or robert stayed behind to take care of the bakery air quotes so the money from the bakery he this is robert's separate money so she does not do anything with that so they're kind of like separate but together they did not mingle their funds so by the time darla decided that she would leave anchorage it is the aftermath of robert's crimes already when their separation was complete at least legally so she was free from him legally and some of her neighbors said that said that they want her to stay in anchorage but of course the legacy of her husband is like completely dark and she just wants to live leave away from that and she did so in the end darla and her two children relocated to rogers arkansas so this is kind of like a spoiler the wife will be okay the children are okay the other people and the other victims not so much so let's go back to robert and how he is living in anchorage alaska so he earned a reputation as an outdoors man because you know he learned hunting with a bow and he loved it he used that as a refuge and he became a distinguished hunter who stalked a lot of sheep wolves and bear with a rifle or a bow and arrow so he was well liked by his neighbors and he even set several local hunting records so apparently he is very good with aiming using a rifle or a bow so he's he's a marksman that does not bode well so in his anchorage home 
His home has a lot of trophy animal mounts. You know those heads. So including some record-breaking sheep and grizzlies that earned him his local publicity. So in this home, he lived with his wife and two children at the edge of town. And his income, main source of income would be his small bakery. So apparently in 1969, 1970, and 1971, he entered four animals. And it, no, he hunted a lot in those years. And four animals that he had hunted entered into the Pope and Young record book. Apparently, it's a record book of just record-breaking animals that are hunted. Honestly, I don't like talking about hunting animals. I I feel bad <laughs> thinking about hunting animals, but there we go. So in about 1971, though, he discovered that another type of hunting would be, probably be satisfying. I'll repeat, another type of hunting would probably be satisfying. You could guess what kind of hunting that would be. So at that time, he has started to become a regular at strip clubs and on 4th Avenue. And 4th Avenue is like a place with a lot of kind of like a red light district type of place. And this is where a lot of potential partners learn to conform to one of his quirks. And his quirks is that he would not approach anyone. It has to be the sex worker that would approach him. So in one of his interviews, Robert Hansen said, quote, She had to come out and say we could do it because but blah, blah, blah. she had to come out and say we could do it, but it's going to cost you some money. Then she was no longer, I guess, what you might call a decent girl. End quote. So right out from the bat. Right, right out from the bat? Right up from the bat? What is that saying? Anyway, right from the bat. You see that he is that type of person that views sex workers as somebody low. Honestly, very, very low to the point where I, I think he thinks of them as equal to animals in some way, shape, or form. Because they're very, just not decent anymore. They're very dirty in his eyes. So in the mid-70s, at least two sex workers told cops that Hansen was a nut job with rape fantasies, but uh, sadly, Hansen isn't the only one who thinks that these sex workers are lower than quote unquote air quotes decent women because these complaints never found any traction. They were just ignored. And this is because they judge a lot of these victims because they are victims. They are sex workers and they are victims. And let's talk about the climate in Anchorage at that time. So Anchorage had at that time an extremely rough like red light district. This is largely run by Seattle crime boss Frank Kolakorsho. How do you say his name? But he is a crime boss. It is a wide open district centered on 4th Avenue where anything happens. Young women were lured there by promises of making huge income by dancing, air quotes, dancing in clubs. And these clubs would be, there's like four main clubs there that's popular. The Wild Cherry, the Arctic Fox, the Booby Trap, 
in the Great Alaskan Bush Company. So at that time, there's a lot of like booming in that place because of, I think it's the oil boom that happened there. It's like a pipeline that's going to be installed. And so there's a lot of people that goes to that place in search of like more money. And so sex workers and like pimps use this as an opportunity to get some money as well. And that's why there's like this red light district with like a lot of things happening. So as the population and disposable income skyrocketed in Anchorage during the oil boom, the bigger clubs were getting around fifty to a hundred thousand a month in cash. So between the clubs, there were peep shows and their magazine stands fe- featuring the uh, this is disgusting, the worst kind of child pornography. Disgusting. Ugh, makes me shudder. So there's a lot of violence as well, of course. <laughs> It's so sad that I'm saying like, of course, because it's not good to just normalize violence in one place. Anyway, there's a lot of violence from beatings and armed robberies to just firebombs and murders. And this kept police busy. Between 1979 and 1983, in just the booby trap, one of the main clubs, police responded 207 times due to disturbances at that place alone. So many of the ones who looked for quick riches left quickly. As, lo- as soon as they arrived in Anchorage and they see that, they lived quickly. And so this made like sudden disappearances commonplace and not treated with the urgency that it should be. Because some people think that, oh, uh, Nancy is dis- is gone. We can't see her anymore. And people would think that. It's just her being sick of this place and just leaving, like up and leaving just suddenly without notifying anybody that became commonplace. And so disappearances weren't treated as urgent as they should be. So this is where Hansen trawled, looked around, observed, especially the clubs. He likes going to the strict clubs. And women aren't really that scared of him as well because his looks apparently one of them, one rape victim, because he raped a lot of people as well. So one rape victim reported, quote, he sort of looked like the perfect dork, end quote. And as I've gone with my research, I've seen a lot of his pictures. And I could say that, yeah, he kind of looks like that dorky middle-aged man, like those glasses. And he looks kind of like harmless, which makes it scary because... Just because somebody look harmless doesn't mean that they cannot give you harm and they cannot give you pain and they cannot like harm you. And now let's go and look at December 1971. And this is when he was arrested twice in just one month. And first, he was arrested for abducting and attempting to rape a housewife. And then another... And his another charge is for raping a sex worker. So the first one is Susan Heppard. She was a real estate secretary. She's aged 18. So on November 22nd, 1971, at approximately 6.20 p.m., she was returning to her apartment from work. Peacefully, she just parked her car in front of her apartment and began plugging in the headbolt heater. Suddenly, a man grabbed her from behind and stuck a gun 
on her back. The man then said, don't scream, but she screamed anyway because she's terrified. Who wouldn't be? So the man then pulled, put the barrel of the gun, a pistol, against her head and placed his other hand over her mouth, uh, saying again for her to not scream because there's a gun at her head and he is going to blow her brains out if she screams again. So even if she doesn't scream again, within minutes, there's this sound of an approaching siren and this scared the man, who turned and ran away. So the Anchorage police was the reason for that approaching siren. They talked to Susan Heppard and not long afterwards, they made contact with a Caucasian male that they identified as Robert C. Hansen. They actually had no trouble spotting him at all because he was just walking nearby. He has no coat. He has no hat on. The temperature back then was around 10 degrees Fahrenheit. And this is not how you would dress in that kind of cold weather. So additionally, officers were able to follow footprints through the snow. And while they are following that, they quickly located an orange, orange baseball cap in a loaded 38 caliber revolver hidden in the wheel well of an abandoned car. Talking to Susan Heppard, she identified the hat as the one that was worn by her attacker. She said that the gun was also similar to the one that was used. So at the scene, she identified Robert Hansen as the man who had assaulted her. So during a police interview with Hansen, he denied any contact with Heppard. He claimed that he was only driving toward the Anchorage International Airport to go bow hunting. So why are you walking? I don't know. Then he became very tense and he decided to walk around to relieve the tension. I should read my notes again. <laughs> I just asked something that could be answered by the next bullet point. So eventually, after like more interviews, I suppose it's grueling, it's mind-numbing, he eventually admitted that he might, he might, quote-unquote, he might have been involved. And if he was involved, that means he needed help not ordinary help there was an imbalance or something inside his brain and maybe it required psychiatric help so indeed when he was indicted on december 15th the court ordered hansen to undergo a psychiatric examination at his own expense hansen's attorney jim gilmore was already there <laughs> because he is acknowledging hansen's imbalance so he is agreeing with the court's decision and he said that they would schedule a psychiatric appointment for later that very same day. So he pleaded no contest. Robert Hansen pleaded no contest to assault with a deadly weapon in the offense involving the involving Susan. And there's also a rape charge involving a sex worker that I will talk about later. And this was dropped as part of a plea bargain. He was then sentenced to five years in prison. <sighs> After serving only six months, he was placed on a work release program and then he was released to a halfway house. So he's out again. After going and serving time, not as long as the time actually given to him, he's gonna be out again. It's just that easy. And this fuels his boldness more. 
I could argue that he would get like just a slap on the wrist and he could do it again because he's not getting like heavy punishments at all so now we go to another day on December it's December yeah just another day on December it's around December to January so it's very like cold it's frozen everywhere at that time there's this promise of blue skies even if it's like very very cold and that's when a lot of people in Anchorage went out of their houses because even if it's cold if it if it's freezing the weather is like relatively better it's relatively good and among those that was driven out by this weather were Gary Lawler and his brother Dennis so they traveled south on the seaward highway along a strip of water called Tumagain Arm and that is where they will take photos of the wilderness so just a photo obsession so armed with a camera they decided to stop at bird point this is one of their favorite spots spots and then they would work their way north again taking photos along the way so almost by chance as they was as they were walking around taking pictures they stopped at McHugh Creek State Park and this is 12 miles north of the bird point in this place this is like between the two intersecting ridges on either side of the creek and this offered like spectacular views of the surrounding martin mountains what is a martin <laughs> surrounding martins there's just like a lot of martins all around like martin number one martin number two <laughs> anyway the surrounding mountains so there's a small ledge about 20 feet below a picnic area and this is where Dennis found the spot that he wanted. There's a steep overlook there that looks at the creek bank in a perfect cone of sunlight. So he focused his camera there and he even struggled a little bit. And while he was doing that and making sure that he could maintain his balance as he's taking like these pictures behind a bush, no more than 10 feet in front of him, he spied what looked like a mannequin and this mannequin was dropped as at an at an odd angle and this air quotes mannequin is partially covered with snow it's never a mannequin <laughs> it's just never a mannequin <laughs> so curious he craned his neck forward to get a better look and that is when he discovered that yep it is not a mannequin it was a body of a young woman nude below the waist and she is like like her oh my god her thighs were like almost covered with snow already so back in the parking lot dennis i could only imagine him like running <laughs> he told his brother about what he found and his brother like asked are you sure because if it is a body they would have to report this to the authorities and they did and what was found was like a woman as i have said she's nude below the waist and her wrists were tied behind her back with a speaker wire she had been sexually assaulted and her chest was slashed with a knife somehow her before her death she actually had managed to escape from her attacker she ran for her life but she <sighs> had actually frozen to death she froze to death 
She managed to leave her attacker, but nature wasn't gentle with her at all. So the troopers learned that the woman's name is C- Celia Beth Van Zanten. She has gone missing on December 23rd, and she is just 18 years old. When she disappeared, she was on her way to a local convenience store, and she is found there, dead. So at the crime scene, they found a collage of tire prints spinning around in lazy circles, but the rain was starting to drizzle. And you know what rain does to evidence, especially if you're outside. And Gilmore, Gilmore, yeah, Gilmore, the one who is tasked to investigate this case, he wanted to grab the tire prints as quickly as possible, knowing that when water reaches it, it's gone. It's like, it's gone. But there was no time. The rain was like faster than him. And he just watched sadly as the evidence like melted before his eyes. But fortunately, they managed to take some photographs. So while they were searching the scene, they found a silver belt buckle and later a black leather belt. So in the snow near the body, investigators also found yellow tissue paper and that was all they had ever found. So the next move of the authorities was to look around the neighborhood and interview some family members. Everyone they spoke to offered statements that were contradicted. Like, it's it's a mess. <laughs> it's a mess. Her brothers were stoners who barely noticed her or where she was going. She's even inside the house. At that time, their best suspect was Greg, her cousin, who is a Alaska native foster cousin he lived with the family and was said to have a not so good relationship with Van Zanden so Greg was out clubbing and drinking the night Beth disappeared and he allegedly arranged for Beth to be visit for one of his friends when asked about where he was like accurately he could only reply with vague statements imprecise statements so he was rarely alone during whatever he is doing in that long night. But there's like a lot of contradictions because he told that he talked to Beth at her house. She's alive. She's okay. But her brothers, the stoners, could not even remember if she's there or if they ever talked to each other because I don't know what the heck they're doing. Are they stoned the whole time? Probably. So the most that anyone could stay could say with certainty at that time about Beth's foster cousin was that he was drunk that night. Apparently, he was so drunk that the Anchorage police eventually stopped him and his friends and made them take a cab home, so they were a mess. Neighborhood witnesses, meanwhile, reported that they saw Beth as late as 11 o'clock that night she disappeared. She was apparently hitchhiking. Some of the investigators then thought that this was precisely what this was. There's somebody hitchhiking and the one who picked her up is not a good person and that's why she died greg was eventually cleared using a polygraph but gilmore still thought that he was the most likely culprit but as the days go by months this kind of like grew very unlikely the more time flies by so while worrying about the case Sergeant Gilmore 
got another break, I suppose you could call it that way. Because one of the senior officers in the troopers called him about somebody who could be an informant. This is what the senior officer in the troopers said. This is from the Butcher Baker book, one of the excerpts there from the blog of the Butcher Baker book. <laughs> so this is what the senior officer in the trooper said, quote, Hey, look, I've been hearing about that dead girl down to McHugh Creek. I think I got an informant that may be able to help you. End quote. The informant might have been working on the street and Gilmore, very, uh, willing to talk to anyone about this case because the evidence is like there's not much there's not much and he's stuck and he's like willing to talk to anyone about this case and then later he would learn that this informant is actually the trooper's daughter so the troopers that gave him like the break is actually the woman's father the informant is robin patterson or some call her patty roberts She's also 18. It's, it's, it's so sad that everybody is... A lot of the people here are very young. Very, very young. And they started working in the streets younger than this. So just imagining it makes me just sad. It makes me... It's just... I hope people could live better, but life is hard. <laughs> And they were dealt like bad guards, but it makes me feel very bad. So Robin Patterson was 18 and she was working in the streets to pay for her heroin habit. And she told Sergeant Gilmore that on the night of December 19th, she was in the parking lot of the Nevada club when she was kidnapped at gunpoint by a man who said that he would kill her if she didn't do what he wanted. She managed to describe him in detail. He is probably between 23 and 28 years old. He is probably 5 feet 8 inches or 5 feet 9 inches. He is slender and he is wearing horn-rimmed glasses. The horn-rimmed glasses is like a giveaway because his glasses are distinct. So after binding her hands with leather shoelaces, he drove her south on the Seward Highway. So along the way, he kept pulling off the road, telling her that he wanted to... The article here said that he wanted to make love to her, but I would just say it as it is that he wanted to rape her. He tried to kiss her. He made her strip down so she couldn't escape, said that he wanted to slash her bra with his knife. She kept telling him that no, she doesn't want to do it in the car. Finally, he got a motel, motel room deep into the Kenai Peninsula at Cooper Landing. They tried to have sex, but apparently he failed his orgasm. He expected her to fight, just like the other girls had. Other girls had. Other. <laughs> so on the way back to Anchorage, he threatened to kill her if she confessed or ratted him out to anybody. Once, apparently because he does not believe or trust that she wouldn't rat him out at all, he drove her deep into the wilderness and she managed to talk him back. So in those days, there weren't computers at all. There's not like, there might be computers, but there's no like digital information. There's no like a lot of 
digital stuff the data isn't in computers quite yet like right now there's like codes you know that stuff dna banks with like information that you could see in the internet there's nothing like that so to keep track on who is a sexual predator or not the cops kept what they called the asshole book <laughs> the asshole book honestly they could like keep a database like the asshole files you know <laughs> So they have this asshole book and this book has photos of every pervert and predator that they had come across. Robin scanned it page by page and column by column until she found him. She pointed at it and said, that's him. Him was, surprise, surprise, Robert C. Hansen. So Sergeant Gilmer learned that he had been arrested barely a month before on the assault with a deadly weapon charge involving the real estate secretary so when he kidnapped robin he was out on like parole no not parole they call it recognizance because he was awaiting trial for the november incident so robin continued speaking her piece speaking her testimony and she even said that she said quote you know i may be doing something that some people don't think is totally acceptable and it may not be but that's not why I'm here. I'm here because that Robert Hansen guy is probably a premeditated, cold-blooded killer who has killed before. He said he killed before, and everything he said was absolutely true. Everything he said he would do to me came true. Everything he said he would do, he did. Every threat he made, I believed. And if he says he's killed people, I believe he's killed people. And if you've got a young girl who's been killed around the same time, and in the same area, then I believe it was Hansen who killed her. I believe he'll kill me too. End quote. And so, if you haven't pieced it out yet, Robin was talking about the Van Zanten case, Beth's case. She thinks that he, Robert Hansen, was the one who did that as well because it's around the same area that that crime has happened. Hansen, though, denied that he is involved in the death of Beth. But the similarities between her abduction and Robin's are worth noting. They were taken to the same area. Their hands were both bound. They were both stripped to prevent them escaping. Their bras were slashed. I mean, the other one was slashed. Robin's weren't, but, Robin, but Robert Hansen wanted to slash her bra. They were also sexually assaulted. So it is also worth noting that Beth's house was actually within a mile of the real estate secretary's apartment where Hansen was caught trying to assault her. So this area is a place where Hansen was known to be circling around. While getting charged with the assault with a deadly weapon for the real estate secretary, he was also charged with rape, kidnapping and assault with a deadly weapon in the Robert Pattinson case. Robin Patton Robert Patterson. <laughs> no, not him. Robin Patterson case. <laughs> But this is the case that was dismissed in exchange for a no contest plea on March 24, 1972. Uh, so while he is incarcerated, I'm just going to talk about like some interesting fact because Hansen was denying the fact that he killed Beth. But he is for sure the one who assaulted Robin. He is for sure the one who attempted to assault Susan. So people searched around and authorities found another man that could be the one who is 
who has killed Celia. Celia? Celia. It's C-E-L-I-A. She's Beth as well. <laughs> There's a lot of names. I'm sorry. And this person is Gary Zeiger. He was first... Uh, he was charged with a crime that I forgot to note down because this is a podcast. This is an episode that is not about him. But he was acquitted when he was first charged with the crime. And he was boldened by this because... I got he got away with it he knows that he got away with it but he would then commit several additional murders including the execution of johnny rich in a plot to take over his massage parlor gary zeiger was also implicated in the murders of the wife and stepson of a prominent anchorage nightclub owner and those were a lot of killings so while the troopers were making preparations to arrest gary zeiger they found him at mile 110 of the Seward Highway, just up the road from where Beth was found dead. He was sprawled in the middle of the pavement with a fatal shotgun blast to his gut, and people strongly believe that this was a contract killing. So he was killed before he got arrested a second time. So dead or alive, Sergeant Gilmore continued to think that Zyker is a strong candidate for Beth's murder. There were even witnesses who suggested that Gary looked a lot like the composite picture of a man reportedly seen with Beth on the night of her disappearance. So there's two serial killers on the loose <laughs> at that time in Anchorage, Alaska. So now let's fast forward to October 5, 1975. And this is when Cheryl Messer of the Anchorage Rape an assault center reported to investigator Sam Bernard that a female adult had reported that she had been abducted and raped by a Caucasian male on September 28, 1975 in Anchorage. So the, the victim, the anonymous victim, had sworn that Messer would keep her identity a secret and that the victim would not talk to police for fear for her life. So Cheryl stated that the woman was a Caucasian female, approximately around 28 years of age, was a dancer at, a, at an Anchorage nightclub. At first, this is like just an unnamed club. She doesn't want to divulge it. It was then later identified as the Kit Kat Club. So the woman told Cheryl that she had met her attacker at the club one evening and she had given him her telephone number. The man then called her home at approximately 4 a.m. on Sunday, September 28, 1975, and he arranged to meet her at the Fork and Spoon restaurant. Is there a knife and a knife and fork? What's a partner of a knife? It's a fork, right? There's a fork and spoon. There's a fork and knife. <laughs> it's going to be handled by like siblings. That could be cute. So the woman arrived there. She met the man, but then he pulled a gun which she described as a large semi-automatic pistol. The man forced her into his vehicle, which the woman described as a 1974 or 1975 foreign station wagon, deep red in color with a black interior, having the license number AY261. So if something bad is happening to you, hope to God not. It's good to always remember to look at the license plate if the car has it but 
just keep yourself safe. <laughs> Don't be in a bad situation like this. I mean, it's hard, but keep yourself safe. <laughs> so the woman told Cheryl that the man drove her to Chukiak State Park. And that's where he raped her, performed cunnilingus on her, and then forced her to perform fellatio on him. Disgusting. <laughs> I feel so disgusted just saying it out loud. The man then stated that if she did not do as she was told, he would kill her. The man also said that he worked on the pipeline and that he was raping women in the Anchorage area and that he had a friend who also worked on the pipeline who was doing the same as him, raping women. The man also said that he knew that the woman would not be able to be a good witness against him because she was a nude dancer and a sex worker. Disgusting. Actually, I keep saying sex worker because that is what you should call them, but he keeps calling her his victims prostitutes. And personally, I don't like saying that, so I'm just going to say sex worker instead of that word. So, first of all, I think the working on the pipeline is all a lie just to keep the victims scared. So the anonymous woman described the man as a white male, approximately 30 years of age, around 5 foot 8 inches, average build, brownish blonde hair, blue eyes, wearing wire-rimmed glasses, glasses again, short hair parted on the side, and with a slight stutter in his speech. Stammering. So investigator Bernard worked in the case and he checked the Division of Motor Vehicles Registration Files for Alaska with the license AY261 and he found that the license was issued to Robert Hansen of 327 Thomas Circle, Anchorage. He then went to that address and observed on October 10, 1975, a 1974 Volvo station wagon red in color with Alaska license AY261 parked in the driveway of the house. He noted that the vehicle had a deep red exterior color and a black interior. So this matches what the anonymous woman had said in the phone call. Bernard then got an unmarked photograph of Robert C. Hansen and he gave it to Cheryl to show her the unidentified female complainant about it. On October 16, 1975, Cheryl said to Bernard that the female victim had positively identified the photograph as being the, her attacker. Cheryl also informed that the woman still refused to be identified to the police or talk to them directly because she feels for her life. Later, the troopers would learn that there was another reason why she wants to keep herself anonymous, apparently because she was a school teacher from the lower 48 and was afraid that cooperating with the police would lead to a trial and make her involvement public. She also, apparently she feared her school district almost as much as she was scared of her attacker. And that's why she kept herself anonymous no matter what. So on October 14, 1975, investigator Bernard interviewed Robert Hansen and of course, he denied abducting or raping any woman on September 28. Hansen then stated that he knew a tall, dark-haired girl that he had met at the Kit Kat Club in Anchorage the previous summer when Hansen's wife was out of town. Hence, Hansen then said that he talked to her and they agreed to go to her place. 
Hansen then continued and said that he was driving the girl toward her residence in his car and said that this transaction was going to cost him $100. And this is when he became upset and drove the girl back to the club because I guess it's exorbitant. It's a lot of money. And which is like kind of like ironic. Ironic? Is that how you say it? But he does this a lot. He pays like for more money than the usual rate of these sexual services and that's how he gets his victims because of the money so he was upset and drove the girl back to the Kit Kat club and then he said that the girl was angry at him for bailing out of this transaction and then started calling him obscene names but he such an angel did nothing to her Hansen then denied owning any pistols stating that he was a convicted felon and he could not own one lies as well then hansen further stated that on sunday september 28 1975 he was in the seward area fishing and that is the end of that case nothing else happened in that case so you'd see that in the course of his crimes hansen is getting away with a lot of things and he's not getting caught he's not getting caught at all he's not getting any punish punishments for his crime and now two years later in 1977 Hansen stole a chainsaw and this is like there's like a chance to keep him off the street for a few years but the court did not go to it's a disappointment but the court decided so in 1977 Hansen stole a chainsaw and although psychiatric reports made it clear that he was a danger to society he only served a year out of a five-year sentence he was ordered to stay on a lithium program to control his mood swings from a diagnosed bipolar affective disorder but that order was never enforced either in prison or after his release so just a few weeks after his early release he's out and doing his crimes once again hi 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 so aside from the nick river his favorite place to make his crimes is the kenai peninsula this is near the seward i suppose and this is his other killing field this area corresponds to some of his earliest victims from the early to mid 70s and and these were the days before he has an airplane because he's going to buy an airplane later these are the days where he doesn't have an airplane the days when he keeps on saying that he goes and checks the seward using his boat and he goes air quotes fishing so now fast forward again two years in 1979 to be exact on october 14 1979 my birthday i'm not birthed in 1979 but october 14 is my birthday so on this day anchorage police officer hammond was dispatched to 202 stewart street in anchorage because there was a report of a possible assault with a dangerous weapon so officer hammond went to that address and contacted the one who's living there mildred johnson who told him that a few minutes ago there was a nude black female that had come to her residence asking for help so johnson said that this woman was bleeding because the woman had just survived the fight of her life so the black female is christine hayes 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 h-a-y-e-s 
and she told the officer that she was working as a dancer at the Embers Bar in Anchorage, located near 5th and B Streets, and that earlier that evening she met a Caucasian male in the bar and agreed to have a date with him when she got off work. So she said that the man paid her $110 in advance to have sex with him, and they went from the bar to a camper truck parked outside, and they got in the back. She said that once they were in the back, the man took out a gun. You're seeing a pattern here? He took out a gun, a revolver, and pointed it at her, and then he tied her hands and feet with wire. Then he got in the cab of the truck, which she described as a light-colored pickup, and drove to the vicinity of Burrell and Chenna Streets and parked. So she said that by that time, she had managed to free her hands and feet from the wire, and when the man got out of the pickup cab and went to the door of the camper, she had managed to climb through the sliding window of the pickup, and then she locked herself in the cab. She stated that she managed to get up, get out of the cab of the vehicle, and that's when she started running to a nearby house, and she was helped by Mrs. Johnson. So describing her assailant, she said that he is approximately 70 inches tall with brown hair approximately 40 years of age so inspector hammond photographed tire tracks and broken glass in the vicinity where hayes said that the truck was parked so the truck had driven away at that point they got the report october 14 1979 fast forward to march 23 1980 apd officer encourage police department officer Lo oh no Loesh, Loesh, L O E S C H, Loesh, Loesh, oh my gosh, was called to the Alaska Bush Company bar in Anchorage. He was contacted by Christine Hayes, who was working at the Bush Company as a dancer at that point. So Hayes told the officer that the man who had assaulted her several months ago was there. She pointed to a Caucasian male in the bar that was that the officer immediately identified as Robert Hansen. So the officer asked Hansen to accompany him to APD for an interview. Hansen agreed. So in the interview, after advising Hansen of his Miranda rights, Hansen denied having bound or abducted Hayes or even having pointed a gun at her. He said that several months earlier, he had met Hayes at the Embers and had given her a ride home after she got off work because he's such a good Samaritan, of course. He said that during the ride, Hayes had placed her hand on Hansen's leg and asked Hansen if he wanted to stop, stop the truck. Hansen said that he stopped his truck and that he and Hayes got in the camper on the truck. He said that Hayes then stripped all of her clothes by herself and she performed oral sex on him. Hansen said that Hayes, after the oral sex, demanded $75 from him, which he refused to pay since no one had mentioned money before. He said that Hayes got upset because of this and started screaming, causing him to panic because he's such a scaredy guy, and he threw her out of the back door of his camper. In his, in, in his testimony, he did not explain the broken glass at the scene where the other officer, Hammond, I think his name was, took a picture of, and Officer Loesh, who is the officer who was talking to him at this time, did not even ask him about it, 
and the report about this case indicates that there was no further investigation done on the case. I am frustrated. <gasps> frustrated! So at this time, Robert Hansen was confident that the police would take his word against a sex worker. It was what he was doing all this time, and it was working all this time. So Anchorage police dropped the case, and that's about it. <laughs> But fast forward to when Hansen was being seriously sought after all of his crimes, this is in the future. He was interviewed again about this assault because the police at this point in time believed that he did not say the truth at all because he didn't. And he, they wanted to know the truth out from him. And so on an interview in October 5, 1983, Sergeant Floth, who is a sergeant, you did a lot of work in this case. He personally interviewed Christine Hayes, and Hayes told him this. So apparently, after Hansen parked the pickup and got into the camper to have sex with her, because they agreed on a fee, you know, $110, the fee, she took off her clothes because it's her job, so she's just going to go along with it, but noticed that Hansen did not remove his. Instead of removing his clothes, he pulled out a silver-colored revolver, which she at that time thought as at least a 357 caliber and pointed it at her. He got this revolver from under a cushion in the camper. He pointed the gun at her face and said, I don't want to hurt you, but I just don't like quickies. Because apparently, I'm going, I'm probably going to say this like in the next, in the part two of this episode, but he doesn't like that his sex worker is the one who is lying down the rules for the transaction he pays and he wants to be the one who would say when the transaction is like when he got his money's worth or not kind of like that so he doesn't want quickies so hansen bound her hands and feet with guitar wire put her on the bunk and then he got in the cab of the truck and began driving to an unknown location so during his confession hansen insisted that he was never bound he never bound the feet of his victims and of course that was all a lie so here is what he said in an in interview Robert Hansen quote I would always say here's five dollars for this and since you're gonna accept this that means there's no doubt you are a prostitute you have been paid it may not be the full amount but you have been paid you just you get you know the police wouldn't even uh, wouldn't even question it you know and he said that when he was tying her up, Christy Hayes, he kept on telling her that if she does exactly what he tells her, she's not going to get hurt in any way, shape, or form, and that he is even going to go and pay. He's just he just wants to get his money's worth, and everything is going to just be all right. And apparently he said, "quote Just that it's going to be me deciding when we're done, not you." End quote. He also said in the interview, "I'm probably going to quote." A lot of Hansen stuff because he talks a lot. He ended up talking a lot in the interviews, but I believe that he ended up lying a lot also in his interviews. And so he added, quote, I think that was part of the reason, you know? They always wanted to say when we were done, you know? I figured that uh, if a person was going to pay for it, they should be in the driver's seat, not the gal as to when it was done. End quote. So while he was driving and she was protesting because she doesn't like this this isn't what was laid down on the transaction for the hundred ten dollars 
She kept saying that she has three kids at home and that they were going to be by themselves because she was being kidnapped and assaulted and that she was going on and on and on about this and she started yelling some stuff and he apparently because he is so sympathetic he is so empathetic he started worrying what if she's telling the truth and that if she takes her out there and they spent a long time together he doesn't want to be responsible for somebody if their kids are home by themselves. Worrying about the kids but not worrying about the person who is lying bound at the back of her truck. So she kept yelling all this time that she had to get back, that she had to get back, and that she had her kids back from home. And she kept on doing that until he just ended up driving across the highway and then stopped on one of the side streets and then pulled off to the side. He then thought that if they make it short and quick, right there, he'll take her back up and drop her off and they're going to go through their separate ways. And that's why he was parked on that street, near that street where Mrs. Johnson found Christy running for her life, nude. That is what Hansen thought, that they're, they're just going to have sex there. And then he's going to drive her back and everything is all going to be okay. But that is when... Christy managed to free her hands and feet from where she was from how she was bound and Hansen noticed this that she was free and he slammed on the brakes causing the truck to stop quickly this caused Hayes to fall on the camper floor and Hansen pointed the gun at her from the cab of the truck he got out of the cab of the cab to come around to the back door of the camper while he was doing this Hayes slid into the cab through the open window connecting with the camper and closed that window and locked the doors of the truck so that Hansen could not get in. But when Hayes tried to start the truck, the keys were not there. So she could not turn on the truck. She could not drive away. So she started pulling wires from the dash. I suppose you could... What is that? Electric circuiting type of thing? Hansen came to the window of the truck and told her to stop that he didn't mean to hurt her. He didn't mean to hurt her, but then he ended up breaking the window on the driver's side of the truck with his fist. My god, that would take a lot of strength. And Hayes, being scared for her life, escaped out the passenger door and ran naked down the street to knock on the door of a nearby house for help. Apparently, Hayes said that before she and Hansen entered the camper the first time, Hansen asked her if she wanted to take an airplane ride with him to Palmer. To which she replied that she did not want. She, she has, she got it to trouble. She got into trouble. She was in trouble, but going to that airplane ride, she dodged a bullet there. Goodness! Oh my gosh! She, no pun intended. Oh fuck! So Hayes also had left her clothes, including a blue bag containing her dancing outfits, in the camper when she escaped. She stated that one of her outfits was blue with little diamond-like decorations and the other had handprints sewn on the pants and the bra. Ace then said that she thought Hansen was an outdoors type because he was dressed in a plaid hunting type jacket and shirt and because she saw furs and rifles in the camper. So Floth gave Hayes a photographic lineup consisting of six photographs of unidentified Caucasian males and immediately, Hayes pointed at number five, who is Robert Hansen. So when... This is like back and forth to the interview of Christy Hayes and the interview of 
Robert Hansen. So now let's go back to let's go to Robert Hansen's interview. And this is when he was asked about the clothes because Christy Hayes said that she left her clothes in the camper. So Hansen said that he that he grabbed all of the clothes and threw it up beside the pickup or off the side of the road and he just walked across there pick up his pistol because uh while he was trying to make Christine open the door for him because you know she locked the door of the truck but she could not turn up turn the truck on because she doesn't have the keys for the truck but the keys for the truck door is inside the truck <laughs> you get what i mean like hansen could not get in the truck the one where there's like the steering wheel and all that stuff he could not get in there because he doesn't have the key to get in there christy however wants to drive out of there because she has access to the steering wheel but she doesn't have access to the keys the keys is with robert hansen and so with, when robert hansen was trying to get her to open the door for him he walked to the side of the road dropped his pistol his gun showing that he is not going to hurt her at all but uh, he still ended up punching the window, scaring her, and then making her run to the out of the passenger door into the street. So he had to grab the pistol at the side of the road after he threw the clothes into <laughs> after he threw her, her clothes, and then he went back in the car and drove off. And he said that that's where he left the clothes. He doesn't know where it is right now because he just threw them out of the clothes. And apparently, he didn't manage to get her shoes to. That is what happened on that faithful day of assault. It's not attempted assault because he assaulted her already, even kidnapped her. So a few months after that, you remember, you guys remember when I said that Kristen Hayes contacted the police again because because she found Robert Hansen in the Bush Company, Alaskan Bush Company. So a few months after that, Robert Hansen was in a booth. In the booth in Bush Company, he was just watching people and girls mostly, making sure that the people who he is going to talk to someone is someone that he hadn't even seen before or made the convo with, I guess. So apparently, he always took a booth away from other people so that he doesn't stick out. So he tries to pick out the darkest portion of the club. And at that time, he felt that there was something wrong. And then he saw this woman. And she was whispering to another woman there and looking his way. And when he looked at her, he doesn't recognize her because she didn't didn't look the same. She had an entirely different hairdo. And because of that, she did, she did not look the same to him at all. And this is in fact Christy Hayes. And this is when she decided to call the police. And she looked different. Her hair looked different because she is wearing a wig. Usually, she keeps her natural hair short so she could wear wigs and change up her game. And she changed wigs a lot. And because of this changing wigs, Robert Hansen did not recognize her at all. And there's like a small like little excerpt of what happened in his assault of Christy Hayes. Because apparently, he has little to no experience with women who wear wigs. And he's used to just grabbing their hair. To like keep them down i suppose and when he expected her to feel pain when he tugged her wig it came off and that's just an interesting i don't want to say interesting but it's an excerpt from what happened in the assault and another excerpt <laughs> excerpt is that am i using the word right but 
another like random day a few months before her interview with a few months before Christine Hayes interview with Sergeant Floth she saw Robert Hansen in Hansen's bakery because this place was located at where she had gone to apply for a new job so Hayes just filled out an application for employment but the moment she saw Robert Hansen she left as quickly as she can and she did not go back Hayes also noted that while talking to Hansen in the bakery about possible employment there, Hansen stuttered quite a lot. So just, it's a small place actually. There's a lot of people in Anchorage, but I don't think it's like a big, big, big place. So they could bump against each other. And they did. I've seen in the blog of like the writer of Butcher Baker, that there's a lot of missed opportunities in Christy Hayes' case. The missed one is, of course, not investigating the case at all properly. And they did not ask about the broken glass. Hansen did not explain about the broken glass. And there was no further investigation on what was done on the case. And apparently APD at this time in Christy Hayes' case, they had not dug more deeply into Hansen's past offenses, including the rape and attempted assault with a deadly weapon, so they did not even think of pulling that out. Lacking action by the authorities, Hansen actually discovered what he had done wrong and he had managed to change that and made it even harder to catch him because of this. Because Hansen later would install an eye bolt in his camper so that it would be easier to restrain victims and apparently he never used the camper again after that he also restricted his activities to the summer when his wife and children were out of town and then he switched to a vehicle combination that limited his passenger car to the role of transporting victims to his house and he got an airplane <laughs> so he could bring people far 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 away before committing a crime so you know what I just discovered and I just realized that I have talked for a long time now and we're not even halfway there. We're not, we haven't even covered like half of my notes and so I decided that it would be a three-parter. <laughs> this is probably going to be a three-parter because as I've said, we're not even halfway there. And we're not even like in the climax or the part where things would pivot and Robert Hansen would be caught. We're not even there yet. It's his quote-unquote peak of his crime life at the moment. Not exactly peak because he doesn't even, he's not even using his airplane yet. <laughs> so because of that, this is going to be a three-parter. And don't worry, I'm not going to like release episodes like once a week because of this three-parter so the first part will be released on sunday the second part will be released on wednesday and the third part would be the one that's going to be, be released on a sunday once again so instead of having a paranormal full ramble at the sunday after this one sunday after i release this first part it's going to be the third and final part of the of this case of this robert hansen case because my god i talk a lot <laughs> hey macabre ramblings and this is going to take a while and i don't want to like overwhelm 
you guys with more information. I know there's already a lot and there's already a lot of people involved in this. And I want to put emphasis on the victim's side because I just don't want to emphasize like what he had done. I want to emphasize their side as well. What had happened to them. If they're a survivor, I want to talk about how they survived. If they did not, I want to talk about the information that I got regarding to what had happened to them and just what happened in the trial, what happened when Robert Hansen gets caught. I want to talk about a lot of that and so this is really going to be a three-parter. Uh, if I manage to make a paranormal full ramble after this, I might release that on the Wednesday after the third part. Let's see if my schedule my work, my chores, and my dog uh, taking care of chores. <laughs> not chores, taking care of job. Not job either, but just me being a dog mom and all of the stuff that's happening in my life would uh, mm, would allow me to make this many <laughs> episodes in like the span of two weeks. Let's see, hopefully, because honestly, I'm enjoying myself. This is a long, 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 long research. A personally had to forcefully stop myself from reading even more because the notes the notes guys i'm not even going to kid you the notes reached 51 pages in my google doc it's 51 pages in my google doc so this three-parter as i've said first episode will be now like now if you listen to this like on the day that it's released it's a sunday the next episode will be on a wednesday and the fire final one will be on another sunday and we'll see if i can make a paranormal full ramble to be released on a wednesday and so that's about it uh there's no hint because <laughs> it's going to be like a three-parter there's no hint for this episode uh if you want if you have any story that you want to tell me uh, that you want to tell me and you want me to share to everybody who's listening you could email me at macabramblings at gmail.com if you also want to just give me some recommendations on what you want me to cover you could also contact me there if you don't if you don't want to use gmail you could contact me at instagram which is macabramblings podcast or twitter at macarambles it is m-a-c-a rambles and I'm contemplating on making a Facebook kind, not, I guess, page, Facebook page, but like a group. But the thing is, I'm not using Facebook, like not using Facebook. <laughs> so I am still contemplating on that if I should open one. And so that's about it for now. Stay safe. Oh, wait, uh, eat. Don't skip your meals. Keep yourself hydrated. If you have soft furry pets or just pets that you can hug please hug them if you have a pet that is a fish please do not hug them that's that, that i don't think you should <laughs> anyway uh yes stay spooky everybody and don't forget don't don't forget always 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 stay safe bye bye